0: Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them, and this is the second of our trio of interviews celebrating the Our Shores Kickstarter. Today, we're talking to Pamu and Sin, two amazing uh, game makers from the Philippines. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Do you mind introducing yourselves further for our listeners? (laughs)
1: Hi, I'm Pam. You might know me as Pamu or The Dovetailer on Twitter and other platforms. I am a Filipino game designer cultural consultant, sensitivity editor, and reader. I also do community lead stuff and I do standard editing for anybody who wants to hire me. And I've been on a lot of projects beyond putting my own stuff out there. Most exciting being that it was recently announced that I will be on a World of Darkness project under Paradoxon.
2: Hi, I'm Sin. I am known as Diwata ng Manila across um, different platforms and social media. I am a game designer illustrator and layout artist and uh yeah i guess that's that's mostly it i my latest project was probably gun and Slinger.
0: <laughs> you can see why i wanted to uh, it was hard to find a phrase more encapsulating than amazing game makers because you're involved in so many different aspects of production across so many projects um <laughs> I feel like you've really, like, yeah, really, you are—you've uh, acquired so many of the different uh, hats uh, of yeah. game production.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, mm. it's interesting because uh, I think the both of us talked about this within and I, how we are keenly interested in creating and getting involved with as many aspects of game design as we can because we both want to be i guess quote unquote professional and one good way of doing that even as an indie creator is to make sure that you understand know and know how to do as many aspects of the industry as possible so i can't draw at all for example so Mm. i tend to kind of like move towards the more writing stuff and and Getting people together and on on Sin's end, they are wonderful artists. They started out that way independently, even before doing game design. And layout is also something they're very familiar with. So we kind of just play to our strengths so we can, I guess, spread the love and also make sure that we're visible.
2: Yeah, it's quite nice to get your feet wet in like all sorts of different things. I think I was telling pam like uh probably a couple of weeks ago how I'm really enjoying art direction uh for Navatham for example and um seeing the pieces come together as I am also the layout artist for Navatham <laughs> is uh it's it's nice um and I am very excited to learn more different hats other than what I currently have um, I'm trying my best to kind of also get into like consultation work, although I haven't had much time to like really kind of brush up, but yeah, uh, those are, those are things that I guess are very exciting for the both of us.
0: Mm. Speaking of now uh, that is your, uh, project within the our Shores, uh, Kickstarter. Um, yep. do you mind telling us a bit more about what that is? is sure do you want me to
2: start start? okay so uh navatham's end is a uh well for for to to start it runs off of a mixed sort of system of Fortune in the dark and powered by the apocalypse with some mixed osr in there and it is set in this world where you play as agents trying to stop the apocalypse. Uh, the premise is that this, the world that you're playing in experienced a great upheaval, uh, which was a long time ago, but somehow shades of it still exist even today. And um, throughout its historical timeline, it has kind of been a cyclical uh, thing where every few hundred years or so, something terrible happens. So eventually these things called towers were created where uh, there are these agents that go out into the world to investigate and understand these apocalyptic anomalies that come up and they're trying their best to kind of like figure out uh, why these things are happening, what's w- what are the catalysts, and how we can protect the light and um, hope that we no longer fall into the darkness like they did before. So that's, that's I guess, like the boilerplate pitch of <laughs> Navathan. Would you like to
1: say anything about it? I was brought on to the project more recently. Sin has been working on this for about as long as I've known them. <laughs> and it was really cool for me to come on board because m- not a lot of people understand how development works this is especially true in video games and even more true in tabletop. So watching a project go from what it is now in our shores to its al- from its alpha version was was kind of amazing. I started out as a player and huge fan and then I just kind of took whatever I had already learned from game design and tried to put as much of it into Navathem as possible. So what I love the most about the game, beyond the fact that we're very proud of our system innovations, I suppose, is its flavor. I think Dicebreaker talked about... Well, what I said on a Dicebreaker article was very true. Mm, we have received some... I guess critique, I'd say that very derisively of how Navathem's end is not Filipino enough, but we are two Filipino creators that get exceptionally upset at that kind of saying because something, a big trend in our country is this obsession with racial purity, that being a Filipino and designing as a Filipino has to have distinctly Filipino characteristics of which Navathem does not pass the test. But I pushed back at uh, that idea in the article saying that we are Filipino, therefore, whatever we make is Filipino, and it will come out that way no matter what people say. You cannot change the color of our face, you cannot change the languages we speak, and you cannot change the experiences we've had. It's much like how a lot of Americans, and especially, like to say that Final Fantasy is westernized Japanese. That is a ridiculous argument, because Final Fantasy was created literally by Japanese people. Therefore, (laughs) therefore it is Japanese, and its type of fantasy is still Japanese. So it's a strange argument,
0: especially for people wild because I, I personally have never heard that criticism, but I can totally, I totally can imagine it being real. Like you, you saying that that has been said, I'm like, oh, there's probably so many people that think that actually, and I've just not encountered it. Uh, God, that's wild. I guess that's a little bit like when people decry, again, we see this in America, but we also see it in Australia although in Australia we still call it Americanized anyway, um, (laughs) is American Chinese food, right? Yeah. And talking about how it's not authentic enough (laughs) or whatever. Like it used to just be that white people didn't like it because it was weird foreign food, but now they're like, oh, it's not authentic to the (laughs) real experience (laughs) of China. (laughs) And so, and it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs)
2: we
1: we find it particularly I'm only going to speak for myself and my partner and perhaps some friends of mine who are also local creators in our country. We really hate being boxed in because the Philippines alone is barely remembered by foreigners, but we have 7,100 something islands and we have at least 5 to 10 different languages, not dialects. So in the main island alone, where our city is, there are several ethnic groups that all speak different variants of the same language with its own unique with its own unique characteristics and even the label Filipino mythology is somehow expected to encapsulate five or six different interpretations all with different gods and creatures so it's a I find it appalling that our country uh, us countrymen are expected to meet some kind of impossible standard of purity. We don't even know what that means, uh, especially since we were colonized over four times. So what what do you even mean when you say Filipino? Yeah, Uh, we're all nuts. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just so, I get why people seem hungry for an authentic experience But that does nobody favors, especially in game design. Um, I have some other friends beyond our own angst of Navetham being too, I guess, Western or white, that they don't want to talk about their own heritage because they're afraid of being criticized by their own countrymen. And for me, I think that that's terrible. I think that anything that silences a creator and prevents them from wanting to create literally anything they want, whether it is so-called Western or so-called authentic, it you've silenced the voice is what that kind of what that kind of feedback says you've silenced them you've made them scared which means we will never see what they're going to create Uh, i've been through a lot in the spaces and i've only been two years into this game and a lot of people tell me i'm brave uh, for continuing to put up with all of the the terrible things that get lobbed in my direction but I know that the community can the communities rather can do a lot of good I've experienced it myself and I also know that I've lost count of the number of people who no longer want to create because they face the same kind of adversity as me or sin and for that that that's one of the reasons why I keep pushing I want to show people that they can do the thing that they deserve to do the thing and that they deserve to do it as they want to do it and that was a primary inspirational force as well for our shores people are sending us money so that we get to decide how we do the thing rather than uh someone else telling us what we should do or what we shouldn't
0: yeah i think sam mentioned it uh last week when we spoke uh talked about how often we only see southeast asian creators in the role playing sphere as stretch goals or uh or extras for other games and so it's uh it's other, and I guess what you're talking about there and the way that those two points link is how it's someone else bringing you on and being like, oh, this is the thing we'd like you to do to represent, you know, who you are and your work and all this stuff, rather than you getting to be more deterministic, I guess, and yeah, having more just- control.
1: Yeah there there are a lot of like missed access points like I will always send a lot of love to the people who have considered me and continue to consider me for stretch goals and I personally put them on the same level as the people who who just hand me money and say here Pam go ahead I trust you right for me it's the same because either way I'm visible and the work will always will will always speak for itself however how it comes off to other people is different For most of the majority, for most of the market rather, when they see us just as stretch goals, they will forget all about our contribution and they will only really remember the one person who put things together versus let's say having a game where it literally says Navathems and by Sin Posadas and pamponzalan, the effect is different. So I'm grateful to both. I think that... We need all kinds of work. We just need a lot of opportunities and every stretch goal, every opportunity counts. I have had people hire me for the strangest reasons. They saw me on a stretch goal of some of some game from last year or the year before and they figured, hey, Pam seems like an interesting writer, let's bring her on, right? So uh, in terms of visibility, it's great. but. I do know that we are facing a lot of systematic barriers as creators. The biggest being that we have, as you put it, no control. And the more that we can work towards getting that kind of control for other people, the better. There is no, I don't think a lot of interviewees on my end really talk about this. Uh, I think I'm the only one who yells about it often. There are no distributors and no publishers uh, down here in the Philippines for tabletop. So, you have to have the capital on your own, which is generally impossible because printing out a book here costs about, hmm, 200 to 500 US dollars, Uh, and that's only for a very short print run of maybe five, six books. That's nothing for for anyone, Uh, and the lack of distribution has created a lot of strange monopolies, and a lot of toxicity has come out as a result. So uh just i'm not going to name names because that's going to be terrible but recently there was an article that was local here and it only outlined one tabletop game and then another tabletop game and they did not even name the people behind it so you just have these amalg- <laughs> <laughs> you just have this amalgam it's so, title.
0: It's so <laughs> strange to me to not like talk about who created a game like yeah that's wild don't i <laughs> like like, it, it's a huge part of the, there are, there are not that many Australian role-playing game creators. Um, and so there ends up being a somewhat, uh, su- a, a few connected communities that exist digitally mostly. Um, and right. in the ones that I, the one that I move in, such a huge focus is put on, um, not crediting so much as acknowledging where things have come from. So it's Mm. not about, Oh, well this person wrote this thing for this game. It's like, this person inspired me to create this. And it's important to acknowledge that. Mm. Um, I know that for myself, a big push for that sort of thing has been um, Sydney Icarus, who I've Mm, often talked to Sydney about that. Um, And Sydney's like a big proponent of like thanking people for things um, and like not not like a formalized thank you, but like the ritual of thank you is how yes. I would imagine it and how that is an important gesture to make um, and the intention behind thank yous and similarly the intention behind acknowledging where your ideas uh, and things come from. So it is so strange <laughs> to me that you that someone would write an article and mention a game and then not talk about it- who'd made it.
1: Yeah, it's it's even more annoying because uh, the islands of Sinauna Uno was a very large project, right? It, it hit it hit the ball. Everyone was so proud of it. Yes, it got local coverage, but the local coverage literally only highlighted the foreign Filipinos. So nobody knew that the majority of the team had actually come homegrown. So we had local fans asking around going, wow, this is amazing. Some foreigners put the islands of Una together, not knowing that the sensitivity and cultural consultants were all from here, the researchers were from here, the artists were mostly from here, and a good majority of the designers were from here. And it pissed our lead team off because they were diasporic Filipinos, but they were like, why aren't our friends who made this possible being written about? Like, and I do remember, for example, uh, Paladin, Joshua, the, the the project, he was interviewed once and he named all of us. But when the article came out, he was the only one cited. So
0: <laughs> because, you can't see it <laughs> listeners, but Perry's laughing? Cause I'm like doing a full body eye roll. Uh, Cause that's so not okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. But, I mean, obviously, when you're writing an article, writing an article is very different to sort of thing that I do. Um, and so you're often like editing people's words to make them make. Normally, when I've seen it, people are doing it to make someone sound better or sound more yeah. elegant. But to just be like, oh, they acknowledged all these people. Ah, it's a lot of names to try and write down. I guess I'm just gonna <laughs> yes. not mention it. <laughs>
1: It, we have a bad history, honestly, of Terrible Cut. Uh, one of the first games that was ever produced here for Tabletop also completely ignored the fact that it was done by a team. So it only named one person. Yeah, wow. And when there was pushback about that, of which I'm proud to say that I was part of that pushback, uh, the article re- the article writer was just like, oh, but that's too much hassle. Only one person matters. But I don't know those people, so why should I credit them? And like, that's... that is the... <laughs> that is the microphone. not about that.
0: yeah it's 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 interesting specifically, going hmm.
2: specifically she said if they want me to know them they should try harder yes
0: fuck that right off
2: <laughs> um, i'm 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 going quiet because this was about me yes wow, fair. yeah right. Yeah,
0: well, um, we won't
1: name the project because uh, yeah we've we've already done. Okay, I'll 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 be I'll be the spite bitch. I've already done a lot of damage to the reputation, so I will not continue the assault unless uh, unless prompted again. But yes. Wow, well, fair <laughs> enough.
0: You you mentioned earlier the thing about uh, uh, distribution um, and yeah. print houses in your country, and it's interesting. I don't know if people would necessarily, I I feel like you probably know this, but I don't know if people listening would necessarily know that despite Australia being a ostensibly large Western nation, because our population is so low, we often don't have things like that either. So there's not anywhere that prints role-playing games in Australia. You wouldn't, and there's nowhere that specializes in board game production, like printing, and manufacture in Australia either. Um, so like, there's not even an equivalent to like indie press revolution in The America closest
2: that you can like do, that. honestly, is you can approach a literal publishing house or yes. even just a printing shop, which is what, what I've experienced. Yes. Um, what happens is you go to the place, you bring your file, and then you tell them how many copies you want printed. And then best of luck after that, I guess you copy your, you, you, you bring all of your copies to some, to some <laughs> art market, which is what we did also. And hope that people understand that it's not a novel. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> which is
2: literally, literally my life for a, for a short while. <laughs> I, it's, it's just not a thing that happens. Uh, yeah, like have- I, I
0: think I, I was going to add, I think the, the, obviously the core difference there is that we have in Australia a lot of game shops. So like if you can manage to get it printed, you Mm -hmm. can you can try and get it into uh those game shops, but normally those game shops are only really interested in whatever the they're normally only interested in board games and they've got to be board games that are like popular elsewhere. Yeah, Um, that's like us.
1: Yeah. And they've
0: gotta be and for board for role playing games, I would not even try to convince a game store to stock anything I made. Um, to the point where, similar to our Shores, your uh, Kickstarter, you're not doing um, any print goals or anything like that with it. It's digital no. stuff. No. Um, yeah. Similarly, for me, I don't like all the physical copies of my games. Those are things, if you want those, you've got to meet me at a zine fair and hope <laughs> that I've got it in stock. Because I'm not yep. going to ever make a physical game. <laughs> it's just not going to be well i mean i've made a physical board game but like again that was a zine fair project you got to see me at a zine fair or you can download the print file and make it yourself
2: yeah the closest Um, thing that we have is well we have one of our friends hmm. jox who runs a a cafe uh sorta game shop type of situation and uh they actually have um a copy of all of the games from session zero 2019 And um, they are open to carrying your game, but you have to print it yourself, right? And and you have to be the one to produce it.
0: And Session Zero is a a convention of sorts. uh...
2: It was uh, Session Zero 2019 was the the first version of itself. Uh, We're going to have the second version of itself on the 30th. And that one was a physical convention where we basically copied the... Format of art markets here Where you just Kind of give exhibitors a table And then you let them do whatever they want to do with it
0: Yeah that's (laughs) kind of what That's kind of like Zine fairs here in that zine fairs They're normally about zines But no one cares if you're selling other stuff I did go to one where they're like 60% 60% of the products on your table Have to be zines And it's like Yeah I hope you're ready for me To really stretch the definition of zine Because <laughs> I Don't like Rigid rules So have fun
2: We do that too here Because like, I I used to go to Comicette Every time that it came up
0: mm-hmm. Because
2: I was on, I was more of an artist Before I was a game designer And I uh, they, they have this rule Which I do to follow
0: they they have this
2: rule where um a percentage of your stuff needs to be um like comics or or uh uh personal like uh art like hmm. um they get a little fetchy sometimes if it's fan art because yep. uh there there have been some issues with with uh exhibitors before that would um post uh, rather would produce fan art that they did not make themselves
0: so oh really like print stuff. someone else's <laughs> stuff off Go yeah
2: on. yeah so they have to actually get screened if you're like a fan artist which kind of caused an uproar and et cetera but you know like th- that is neither here nor there but yeah. um yeah the, we so for session zero 2019 we kind of just followed that format um and what we did was uh it was just a huge haul and there's just like, several tables kind of stuck together and we put the the designers towards the front of the hall and then we also had merchants and artists and um, yeah it was just a huge thing and I personally believe that like session zero 2019 was quite a catalyst for a lot of the design that, that happens and continues to happen in the local spheres because uh, well to put it very simply we were given a deadline <laughs>
0: I mean even online <laughs> I still see people like referencing and talking about session session zero. Um specifically yeah. that session zero. Obviously there's another like session zero is also like a term in uh <laughs> game design and game facilitation. Um but yeah, I definitely would agree. Uh that impact must have been um quite substantial to then ripple out um mm internationally as well
1: yeah um, the, the biggest the biggest thing that it did was since everybody was forced to go on the deadline print the thing they learned how to do it. the session zero 2019 was scheduled in august if i remember yep. and i was supposed to fly out to big bad Con states <laughs> in october <laughs> so when everybody got their games i was like all right uh if y'all want to ride on me because i'm gonna do rpgc stuff in big bad con you need to send me your games as awesome. so since it was already done it was easy for everybody and that was how i was able to bring literally a suitcase full of games i felt like a i felt like a sketchy girl
2: uh, publishing uh, pushing some S- kind of job.
0: smuggling <laughs> smuggling <laughs> role playing games into the I
2: remember how it took us hours during one time at Phil's house to just staple everything yeah, <laughs> yeah we were it was crazy we were, it was really like Peak zine culture, stapling bought- all the things. We bought three staples <laughs> and like a yeah. bunch of staple wires, and some of the staple wires weren't wouldn't work. It broke oh, my stable. stapler. Yeah, it broke my
0: stapler, but it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My first, my first zine fair, we were we were still uh, assembling stuff uh, as the doors were opening, and then at my oh, second, no. and then at my second zine fair, I actually did that on purpose. It's like I brought a bunch of stuff to assemble as I as I went. Um, (laughs) so that I could restock. Um, you uh, you mentioned earlier going back to the, or rather, I think I actually mentioned it. I don't know. One of us I'm sure mentioned it anyway. (laughs) The point is, uh, our shores, uh, obviously features, um, these three large format role-playing games, we'll call them, Mm -hmm. Um, and then it also features a bunch of other uh, work from um, other creators that's perhaps, I guess we can call it smaller, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not as good, it's just a different size. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to hear a bit more about that, and also a bit more about how, I asked Sam this as well, how the Outshore's kickstarter came together and how you all sort of linked up uh to put out this thing together Uh, so i guess we'll start with what are some of the other projects being featured in our shores
2: well the the thing with the zine is
1: the not everybody has a idea of what they're going to write yet i i think some of the descriptions are on the kickstarter project itself like i know that I know that Bim in special is going to do another fantastic. She's more made of Twitter and she does wonderful art. In fact, something that is not that known about Bim is she was literally the first among us to get some kind of international recognition and be hired by someone who was not. Familiar. And not a lot of people know that. They think that it was me. Or they think that it was Bim's partner, BJ. Or they think that it was even even Sin. More jammy well, also. And also Jammy. Everybody knows Jammy. But in actuality, before any of us, Bim was the one who kind of trailblazed for some of the international. Because she she went ham on Reddit and kept talking about her stuff. So she hit that market and people started talking about her. But
2: uh, she's doing... Her side. There we go. Uh, Oh, it's so cute. You should see it. Uh, The basic concept of it. Let me just geek out about it a little bit because I'm actually genuinely excited. That
0: is the purpose of the show. Please geek out about it. Uh,
2: It's so cute. So the setting is that the world is broken, but you're these cute little kind of non-human things. So you can be animals or something. Um, And uh, you're trying to exist in in the periphery of this world, of this broken world. So, like, maybe a part of your day is going to the nearby bones of an old dragon that fell in the valley near your town, and maybe it could be potentially dangerous to gather materials from there. But the but, but the but the the mushrooms that grow on its bones are the tastiest that you've ever had. It, it's that sort of thing. It's that sort of like aesthetic, and I'm just. I dig that flavor, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's totally my thing. I love it so much. And I saw a little bit of art that she was doing for it. And it really is cute. It, it's really a, um, it's a nice celebration of, of resilience against a world breaking phenomenon. A, it's technically post-apocalyptic, but it's a lot. It's, it's also quite whole punk if I really think about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I really do. I'm so
0: excited. It's so I, cool. I am very, uh, very tired of post-apocalyptic despair. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. We're all sad. What are we gonna do about it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's very community building, hurt side. It, yeah. The the whole point of it is that it's not blissful. Um it's not it's not like it's not like you're blissfully unaware. You yeah. are very much aware of the broken world that you're living in. Um, but like what do you do to make it a home? Is yeah. is I think the whole point of it. Which exactly is, I love it. Mwah.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Mwah>. <laughs> and uh I was looking I was just reviewing for myself because I did, I did the thread on it, of course. But I was literally the one who was running around going like, hey, friend from RPGC, you want to be a part of this Kickstarter? Cool, give me your beats." And when they asked me, like, do we need to give a specific game? And I said, maybe, maybe not. So that's why some of the Kickstarter, that's why the Kickstarter project only has like some games mentioned because yeah. the importance here is once again, control and access. We do not want to tell you what to produce. And if you're not ready to give us a game concept, then no rush. Our target is this year, October. So there will be plenty of time to find an editor and plenty of time to get things done. And the interesting thing about the zine is it is a stretch goal in this project. But in actuality, it was supposed to be one of the first Kickstarters that I wanted to put forward. Because many people were asking me after I think I wrote a a Medium article about the difficulties of the PTRPG local scene. And people were like, holy shit, you don't have Kickstarter support? And I I said, hell yeah, that's why you haven't seen any of us in years. So I had a lot of offers of people to front load a project, uh, but it took a long time for me to figure out how to do it. Mm. And one of the proposals was, let's have a Zoom. And at first I said, okay, that sounds great. But then I realized... Technically, zines are easy. We can put something together digitally and distribute it even outside of Kickstarter. What is not easy is a large project because so few of us have the ability to even hire an editor or even hire hire one artist for one piece. And as we know, uh, an RPG book Sadly, sells itself on its art more often than it does on the actual game. That's resources. why I
2: invested. Yeah.
1: So
0: damn! I, I wish I had gone know. to art school.
1: <laughs> oh, if, on,
0: if only I could. Uh, if only I could use uh, wooden swords as art assets.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, no, will, I, I
0: will make that game.
2: To, 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 be, to be quite upfront, I never actually went to art school. Like I've never. I never done I've never done any formal schooling for any sort of art. And like I don't I'm think that I, I, I feel like a little bit that if I had actually gone to art school I might hate my art. <laughs> because I don't know. I it's it's uh, weird, weird But I do get the feeling. For a long, long time I was also really wondering what I would get to if I actually went to art school.
0: Yeah. There's this interesting, I think this is more a uh, weird uh, feeling of mine rather than a persfa- than a like a pervasive aspect of the RPG scene in Australia mm-hmm. and to the lesser direction in the West. Um, but I often see game designers in my cohort talking about like, um, and game makers talking about things and using terms that they very clearly picked up from going to university and college and for a very long time uh, and occasionally still, I would get this feeling of, do I need to go to university just so that people will take me seriously? Um, Because these weren't people that had studied game design. They were like social workers and historians and things uh, who were incidentally also game designers. Yeah. But they were using these words that they'd picked up and this this way of thinking. I'm like, is it giving them an edge that I'm missing? Uh, and <laughs> and I uh, I've basically settled on no because I don't have a bunch of debt.
2: <laughs> I feel that so keenly though because I sometimes half the time when I look at like what people are talking about on Twitter, I, I go, eh? what's that? Mm. I I really don't. I I I have no. The only the only thing that I came into when I first started game design is my very slight knowledge of how dice works. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That I, really I ba-
0: I, it. I barely managed to pass high school.
2: <laughs> that's, uh, all, that's all I knew, honestly. I just knew that like maybe if you roll a d20 10 times, you will get this result this number of times. So that's okay.
1: I think as somebody who was very lucky to do a master's degree, almost, that I wasn't able to graduate, a lot of shit happened in TLDR, but um, I, as a former academic, continue to find it suspicious how many people who would have been my peers had I finished my weaponized intellectual discourse in our space. That is disingenuous, it is dishonest, and it is dangerous. Because big words scare people off. Big words silence them. Big words make you feel bad. And big words can be So I try my very best whenever I try to post, I guess, quote-unquote smart things. To be like, this is the term. This is what it means. This is how I'm using it. Because I I take gumption at it. I used to teach. I used to teach high school to college kids and professionals. And I am tired of people feel like they are dumb. Because they are not, that they're not enough. Because they didn't get an education, so to speak. That's like but me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, almost, I'm always on Google. <laughs> so uh, I, just, I just don't like it. It's not yeah. fair. You don't need any. I don't know, you know if
0: I've, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I've definitely done a thread before talking about how um, often people that have academic, have an academic lexicon, so a yeah. collection of academic sounding words, yeah. um, will use them. In a way that um, they're trying to describe ideas universally. So, just a huge fucking truck driving past me. <laughs> I saw
1: the
2: shadow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, sorry. Uh, they try to use a- uh, academic uh, words because there's this idea that academic words have um, are standardized, like yes, they're these uh, standardized yeah. terms that everyone yep. can pick up. Except that's yep. not true. That's only if you yep. have been through that for lack of a better phrase academic indoctrination and so there's this i don't know if it's necessarily how they're thinking or not but it's definitely there is this image that becomes projected of i have described this thing in terms everyone can understand and it's like No, you have not. You have described (laughs) that thing in terms a sociologist would understand or a film studies major would understand or uh, someone with a BA in English would understand.
2: And the hard part about it is, like, even if you do have Google, say, like, yeah, even if you do have Google, they lead you to, like, articles that you need to download off of, like, some academic website, right? And I'm just like... (laughs) I just want to understand what you're
1: tweeting. <laughs> <Can> I just... <laughs> and I don't I don't like mm. how centering it is. It's very mm. centering. As we talk on this podcast, we are three people who do not exist. EPRP, right? Uh, and I I went on Twitter a lot to say, basically, like, you academic, I find you all suspicious. Because, oh, yeah, I remember right? that. Phrase. This does not make me smarter. Like, I've heard people tell me, you're so smart because you know these terms. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just survived the academic bullshit. That's it. That's literally the only thing it gave me. It taught me survival skills and a particular kind of rubric. Did it make me smarter? No, I'm still a bitch. Uh, I still do. I still do exactly what I want. I just do it. I just occasionally know how to make it sound prettier. But did it teach me to be a better person? In fact, if I had stayed in the academia, I'm pretty sure, and I'll say this very bluntly, I'm pretty sure it would have made me a terrible person because it would have convinced me of my bullshit rather than see outside of it and see other perspectives. It would have mm. given me the tools to justify terrible things, which is what a lot of academics have
0: really do. There's a thing that I haven't really thought about in a very long time, but it's this thought process that I used to give to people who were considering whether they needed to go to university or something in order to further the career. I, I was, there was this period in my life where a lot of my friends were like, Oh, should I get a second degree or should I mm-hmm. go to this and do yeah. this? And I was like, there was this thought that to a certain degree, you're, you're less uh, trying to gain knowledge and you're more choosing how you want to be indoctrinated. Yes. And so like, uh, uh there is a lot of, And that's not to say that all academic learning is bad. It's just that if you study, uh, if you go to university to be and study economics and learn the language of economists, words transform the way you think um, and they shape your thoughts. And so uh, if you have a lot of your brain filled up with the words of economists, you're going to think the way economists do yes. yep. uh and so to a certain degree when you're going to university and things you're you're choosing how to be indoctrinated and understanding that that's the choice that is an aspect of the choices that you're going to be making is choosing how you're going to change the way you think about the world um i think that that is an important thing uh to consider yeah.
1: it's a it's, an, it's a lack- well, because people don't think about it, that lack of intentionality, again, becomes dangerous because it will carry over into this. Since we're specifically talking about game design into your design.
2: Yeah. If you do not yeah. know
1: that the theories that you were talking about are racist, your game will become racist. Yep. Yes, that's just how it is because yeah. you are not self-aware enough, right? To cover it.
0: I have friends that think of themselves as extremely, you know progressive and you know and all this (laughs) stuff and then they're making jokes about Mark Zuckerberg being a lizard I'm like are you are you aware (laughs) what you're doing are you do you understand how deeply anti-semitic that joke is yeah I know you don't know that um (laughs) yeah yeah and the you know the things there are things about language and stuff that yeah, it changes the way you think. Um, yeah, wild. Well, uh a question that we've kind of touched on a little bit um is uh your your game, right, in this project. We've talked about its boilerplate, we've talked about how you two got involved in it. Um, but I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into what Play looks like And something that I think Sin Said earlier about it being Kind of an amalgam of a lot of Other systems Um, So uh, Mm -hmm. I guess we'll Jump into that Um, when you talk About that what do you mean what are the what are those Influences that you're calling on When you were building the game Mechanically
2: Uh, Okay well um, To start with that Navathon really started as A PBTA game uh, I was trying to get my feet wet in designing for different other systems, and I'd never done that before. Uh, all of my games that came before that were of systems that I made ish myself or kind of put together sort of mechanics for. Um, so they weren't really they weren't really PVP. They weren't really this or that, they weren't really anything other than here are some ways to roll dice and here are some ways to do to make your characters do stuff in the world. And I still do that, but I had been curious about what it would be like. So when, when Navathem first started, uh, I had my eyes on PBTA because it seemed to be, to me, the most comfortable sort of space that I could design in. And um, eventually, as it grew, because as as Pam mentioned before, uh, the alpha was very different. Um, all all it had really was uh, some playbooks and a couple of moves, and that's it. Yeah, maybe yes. some stats. Sorry, of. <laughs> sort of stats, yeah. but it barely had anything. <laughs> and um, I, through through all of the months and the years of of trying to design it, I felt a bit like there was something lacking, um, and. Uh, when I started playing a little bit more of, of FITD with Pam and the rest, I started seeing some aspects that I liked. So currently, uh, Navathem also has uh, a similar sort of like phases of play. This is how I like to refer to it, where in FITD, for example, you have downtime, you have score, you have... Uh, Uh, what do you call it at the end when you do your engagements and your fallout yeah your fallout yep something like that yeah um for for nevathem's end we have something similar which is downtime mission um and also fallout yeah it's it's also Uh, downtime mission uh, sorry downtime investigation prep mission and then fallout um and i think that that really helps kind of like <clears throat> structured gameplay, uh, especially considering that Navathem was built for long campaigns. Uh, that was another thing that I found in TVTA. Uh I I hadn't actually found a game that like really is structured for months and months and months of play, and I wanted to kind of turn Navathem into that because that's what I've always been used to, and that's what I like to play. So uh, from the kind of normal PBTA games where you last maybe five sessions, we extended it to what it currently is. And we've been playing Nevatham for how long now? Several months. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I like the I like the modularity of
1: it. Mm. if you wanted a short standard powered by the apocalypse run, you may do so. Yeah. But sure. if you wanted something like a drop in, drop out, easy peasy kind of shit just explodes and you follow, you can do so. But you can also do a mission by mission episodically because Mm -hmm. we structured it that way. And what I really, really like about the beat is because our entanglements are a D100 table and that's the stuff that you roll for. Sorry, they're called threads now. uh, Because you roll for your thread at the end of it or if you roll for your thread, if you chose to do so so that you get that one move to work for you previously in the session, you generate stories both yep. for your group and for yourself. And what's nice is we don't put any hard rules on how to use the threads. So if you are a GM and you're running out of ideas, you can use the threads. But if you feel like each one of your players already has a lot going on for them, you could slow down on them and simply deepen the consequences, quote-unquote consequences of what happens. Because some of the threads... Okay, let's, let's take like Blades of the Dark, for example. Mm-hmm. Literally anything that could happen to you in fallout is a bad thing. That's yeah. how it is by design because you're a bunch of scoundrels in a terrible city and life sucks. But for us, we have threads that go from anywhere between uh, a loved one of yours is in trouble to somebody in the tower has a crush on them. In that sense, that is still dramatic tension because it, it, it makes things very interesting and also, we really believe in safety and consent tools. So, at the very beginning of Navathem, you can already tell your players this is the kind of not really apocalypse I want. This is how I want the game to end. This is how these are the aspects of the premise that we've been given that we want to explore. Uh, uh, the second thing that I love about it is we work very hard on our backgrounds. Uh, Navathem has three countries. Uh, Or rather, three continents, and then a lot of different nations and demographics in between. But we put no hard colors and no hard references to ethnicities in the real world. We made it extremely (coughs) gameable. So you have three continents, uh, the sun, the, the five, and the frost. And each one of them has some basic gameable experiences. Like, it is said that the people of the sun are very tenacious that they, they just keep on fighting even when it's impossible and that they were the ones uh, thousand, over a thousand years ago that fought off the big bads the easiest. And then for the frost, on the other hand, you have a nation that actually silenced its own rebellion. So the rest of Navitham did not know that they were actually killing their own people been behind their they borders. They closed their borders. So, And those are just some things that we mentioned. <laughs> right? And our backgrounds... Are, are so okay, you came from this place. Like one, one nice background that I'm, I'm quite is a background called the Passerines. Weird. Oh, I love them because in the times of chaos, everything was shit, but people still needed their supplies and they still wanted information. So the few uh, groups that were still resisting hid this information with traveling merchants.
0: Uh, and because
1: yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the traveling merchants were not really connected to anything, they were able to hide better. So the literal spy networks of the resistance followed ro- along with these passerines. So that is your legacy. You might not even know it, that maybe your father was a super spy for another apocalyptic thing that happened 50 years ago. Who fucking knows, right? And each background has questions and because they're related to a quirk. Like another background I really like is a background called Red Moon, which is specific to the continent of the sun. Because the sun is very like very tenacious and very warrior-like, their capital is also extremely imperial or can be because one person, one royal family controlled a lot of things for a long time. But because they did that, they grew complacent and corrupt. So they had one district made of all of the quote unquote people from the outside who literally built the city on their blood, sweat and tears, but were summarily ignored the moment the city was created. So a gangster stepped up and said, fuck all of you. I will rebel and I will carve out a little district for myself. And I don't care what color of skin you are. I don't care where you come from. You are Red Moon, so that was that's one background. It also has its own quirks. So that's my background. Oblivious. I'm
0: taking that background in a play every time. That's the only background I care
2: about. You have like three people in <laughs> the background in the Caribbean yeah, <laughs> myself <indeed>. uh, but <laughs> what we, we we just
1: really got we got really tired of standard uh standard being white right yeah and definitely. got very tight right and we also got very tired of other filipinos telling us but you have to write something that looks pinoy and like sitting there like fuck that we're gonna write about what we want to write about and this is it our experiences are bona fide filipino uh I I'm gonna be the mean bitch and say that if you're white and privileged, don't give me a game about revolution. I live in fear of my own government every day. I have since I was in high school. And I put all of those feelings into Navitat. <clears throat> and that is a unique experience of oppression and marginalization. Mm. And even my experience though has blind spots. Because it has blind spots, more people need to Yep. So the more tools that I can give them to create these experiences, if they want to, because consent is important, then I hope that they can do it through Navi.
2: What I also like about um, those backgrounds, for example, is that it gives you this sort of like perspective into a an aspect of the world that um, you can or can choose not to use. Uh, like the dragoons are pretty cool. Uh, we came up with that a little last minute. Yeah, but I'm our, actually in our white haze of writing background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm actually quite in love with it. Uh, the concept of that, because um, in in Navethan lore, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna drop some lore. But like <laughs> basically, uh, the dragons are kind of children of the primordials, yep. and um, they they take they, they took on the human form before humans were even a thing. So. Uh, the primordials created humans technically in the image of dragons, if that makes any sense, right? Like, I think, I hope I'm making sense, but no, that makes uh, sense.
0: But mm-hmm. basically, it's all right. I was uh, raised Catholic. I get it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the the idea is that um, dragons are no longer a thing, or there's some dragons that are still alive in the world but they're very they're in hiding or uh, they're not interested in, in involving themselves with the rest of them. and the legacy of dragoons is that you are kind of the ones who are supposed to protect them and you're kind of the ones who are supposed to carry on their history because uh, they have known the world even be even before uh, humans have. Yeah. So uh, the 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 tension point of that is you could be coming from a dragoon community that doesn't even have a dragon to protect, just has like odd stories. hazy memories and stories of of the kingdoms of dragons, you know that kind of thing. So um I actually quite like that. That sort it, of it, know, uh, it.
0: it really reminds me of the peacekeepers from Farscape. Um, and how eventually you discover that like the peacekeepers who are essentially this tyrannical military organization that like goes around being space cops, but like they don't have their own nation or anything. They are enforcing, they're enforcing laws, but like they don't have a mandate for where these laws come from or anything. They're kind of like a weird... It's sort of like this weird, um, almost police for hire thing. So they like enforce other people's control as long as they feed them resources and things like that. And eventually it's revealed that they were a race created to be the envoys for these actual um, aliens that would bring peace to people so the idea was the peace the idea was the peacekeepers would protect them so that they could get close to the leaders of armies and then they'd create these telepathic links between the uh leaders of armies so that they could understand one another with uh, and come to like and come to agreements without fighting anymore but they needed like people to protect them so that they could get into the fight Um, and and then they disappeared, and then the policekeepers were like, "Well, I guess we'll keep doing this job." I didn't hear that.
2: Oh, it's so interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it. Yes. Yeah. The amount of work this project—it words cannot express our many moments, Our many dark nights of the soul over it, because like we both come from a common design history of having that one joyful thing that we thought would be our big thing and then shit happened. Yeah. And everything uh, like everything happened. else happened. Like uh I was already bitching about the project that that really hurt sin with a whole hullabaloo of article coverage. And then on my end I was telling people and in the beginning of 2019, I'm finally gonna get my world of darkness baby to be published. And then my terrible ex happened and uh, she sent, She tried to send her lawyer brother at me even for no real reason, you know. Bad, <laughs> so, uh, and up till now, the game is still not published because, because of that, the trauma, right? Even though you were told 100% that it was yours, because it fell under attack, it, it tends to define so many things that you do in game design. And uh, Navithem is a breath of fresh air. We have a very supportive playtesting group. I love them like, so they much. They have literally gone through several hundred iterations with us. These tiny little things where, where Sin and I were just like, okay, we have this cool
2: thing. Can we test it? And they're like, sure, let's do it. And uh, so <laughs> sometimes I update the document like twice in a day. I'm like, hey, uh, here's the latest playtest uh, uh, document. Please update your character sheets. And then like no more than two hours later, oops, I changed something else. <laughs> yeah. They, they just don't
0: I, I often have to give myself <laughs> artificial roadblocks when I work on my, <laughs> my PBTA mech game um, because <laughs> I, I iterate too much. Like, yeah. it is a flaw in my process um, <laughs> is that I will, like, have a cool idea to change a thing and so I'll change the whole thing and I'm like, oh, maybe this actually not And, yeah. yeah, so I often have to put in I roadblocks pretty... to myself.
2: I am pretty happy though that the main game is done. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, the only thing that we're missing now is the sandbox options for Navithan, <laughs> which is um, basically us just kind of uh, sharing playtest notes. Yeah, yeah, and and yes, telling yeah. future GMs yeah. uh, this is how to make towers, how to create NPCs, etc., yeah. etc. Et but like that's all. Maybe easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. It's already 50,000 words. I don't know how I'm going to lay this out.
0: <laughs> I haven't even word counted my large project. I don't, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I dread it because there's still so much work to be done on that. Um, yeah. But it's all the work that I'm not excited to do. <laughs> it's like telling people how to run this. It's uh, not-
2: Somehow that ends up
1: being one of the hardest aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I got roadblocked for my for my not World of Darkness game several times. Then I, I wrote I got this huge flash of inspiration right before New Year's and I'm so ready to do the thing and the commission's have fucked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gotta, it's really know.
2: it's Maybe really hard. It, though. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is very hard for me to take what I know how to do and uh, teach it someone especially when it's something like storytelling uh and running a role-playing game i can i can yeah when it's something that has like a a lot of mechanical steps and things it's a lot easier for (laughs) me to like show people so like i've shown people how i make swords out of wood and stuff before and i've helped people learn how to make gun plus stuff and things like that that's easy because there's like defined steps but i uh but running like a workshop on oh how do you write for games good fucking question how about instead i (laughs) teach you how to learn to write for games instead because that's a far more useful skill um Yeah. yeah wild it has been a blast uh talking to both of you you're so You're such amazing creators and you're so, uh, the way you talk about your, your projects and your work, um, it really shows a deep understanding of your craft. Um, I cannot wait, uh, for my copy of all these projects, uh, when they're done, (laughs) I'm very keen to try and read all of them. We do have to fund first. I'm sure that'll happen. Let me know if how short you fall by and I'll fix it up. Um, uh, that is, that's, that's my white privilege and I will, I will use it. I will use it to make sure you fund. Um, it has been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find more about you and more about your projects online uh, if they want to follow you?
1: Oh, well, we have the, it's still running on Kickstarter. So that's the thing. Then it's our shores. I think it's called an RPGC compilation. Collective, Collective. Okay, let me go read that. As I am a totally responsible person <laughs>
2: right now, so really about you this, can do it, so. fam. Can yeah, really It is it. our
0: shores and RPGC. There, uh, there we go. Compilation. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. So uh, okay, that that's that's one for me. Then um, I do have a itch. So the dovetailer is on itch Twitter. Patreon, 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 I get it. I do have a website, but it is severely outdated. And I will be around for the Gamers and Gaming Needs Session Zero. And I am also very often on Asians Represent because I am part of the Discord management team. So I am an admin there. So people can catch me on some episodes. I think I'm on, I've am on. i been on three or four. So, so that's where you can find me. Wonderful.
2: I am similarly on Itch, uh, Patreon, and uh, what else am I on? each patreon that the works and yes please do support our shores on kickstarter uh i also have a card um that is also diwata co. please support us we need to fund and we need to get that first stretch goal i I really really wish that we get that first stretch goal i don't even like we can forego the rest (laughs) but i just i just want that but yeah
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm sure that you're going to, uh, reach that because everyone that's listening is going to go and check it out and give what they can, uh, rem- uh, reminder that if you can't support a project monetarily or a creator monetarily, the biggest thing that you can do is share their links and give personal recommendations to people. So don't just share the link blindly and with no information, send it directly to your friend and say, hey, this is a game about supernatural mechs. Go and check it out, that's gonna be cool. Or this is a game about like agents uh, trying to stop the apocalypse, Uh, go and check it out. Or this is a game about being bad, not very good people. in the big city doing bad relationship stuff. It's exactly your jam. Go and play it. Um, Give personal recommendations, share links. That's the biggest thing you can do for creators when you can't support them financially. Um, Thank you so much, both of you for coming on the show. Uh, It has been a pleasure. I have wanted to interview both of you for so long. (laughs) um we shall have to do this again on your next big project after this maybe even once this is done um but for now farewell from the past i'm ray